Natalie, since you're a classically trained pianist, have Mm -hmm. you ever had to memorize an extremely long piece? I have many times and I do not miss it. (laughs) It's the most stressful feeling in the world to have like, you know, 10 pages of music shoved into your brain. I used to do, well, actually only once. I did a concerto competition and I played a Shostakovich piece that was so insanely long. And like, I really thought I was going to just fall apart because you're, you're kind of just on autopilot. You can't afford to miss one note or like break the trance or it just all spills out of your brain like water, you know, it's very stressful. So how long was that piece? I don't I think it was like maybe 10 to 12 pages. It was pretty long. It was no joke. And it was still just like a first movement. Oh my gosh. Needless to say, I had a very short-lived run in the concerto competition community. (laughs) It's not for me. That sounds crazy. Oh, hi. Welcome to the store. Have a look around. Hi. Let us know if you need anything. I'm Tara. This is Natalie. We'll be over here. Yeah, uh, I recently saw um, Shabaka Hutchings play a solo clarinet piece at Big Ears, and he had the whole thing memorized. And it just, like, it was almost just the memorization part had me more impressed than the whole piece. I mean, not really. Like, it was obviously very beautiful and impressive, but uh, it was like, I was just like, wow, he's just up there playing from memory this incredibly uh, detailed classical piece on clarinet. It's crazy. That's pretty amazing. There is a threshold you reach, though, where like if you practice it enough, it kind of just becomes part of your muscle memory, and then you can just do it on command, and it's totally fine. Yeah. Oh, hey, look who it is. Victoria Rollins. Oh, welcome. Hey. Hi. Hi. Hey, it's really nice in here. How are you? Yeah. I'm good. Uh, No stranger to vinyl. (laughs) No. How many, actually, how many records do you have in your collection? Um, it's really hard to say, you know, I, I've cataloged some stuff, but not, not everything. It's, it's, a uh, they've, they've always felt like they're taking over and it just continues to take over. Like there's the record room, which I do all my streams out of. And then now we're creating some new shelves in the bedroom and just, it's a lot. So thousands, yeah. you know, just yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands. <laughs> thousands. Holy crap. Yeah. So you're here and you're going to pick up some more records in the store Always. to take home to your collection. Yes. <laughs> you're going to need like a separate tiny house just for your vinyl eventually. I mean, I feel like I already do, but yeah, something. <laughs> so we were just talking about long music pieces. So you, you stream a lot on Twitch is there ever, do you kind of ever limit yourself on how long of a song you might play? Or do you, do you use any of that time to just go far out and play really long songs ever? Um, yeah, I mean, I do, I really enjoy streaming on Twitch and it gives you a lot of freedom to just kind of do what you want. And I, I guess I am a believer in like playing the song out, how, how it was made, how it was written, because I think maybe that's how the artist would want it to sound like. Um, yeah. I mean, when I would play out, I would cut it just a little bit, especially if I knew there was like a really weird transition coming up, you know, I would do it before like <laughs> a screaming portion or like something really 
startling to people, but um, I usually like to play things out and I just, I think that's kind of the full fantasy. So I just, I like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes uh, will fade out a song because I'm just like, all right, I wonder if everyone is tired of this song. It's been going on for five minutes, so I'll fade it out. I don't know. I mean, you'd be surprised. But yeah, I also have um, a couple camera angles, at least on my Twitch channel. You know, I have about four camera angles. So I have that I have that freedom of saying, okay, switch it to the above camera. So, you know, you're not just standing there because I could totally understand if it's like a 12 minute song and you're just like, I'm standing here and everyone's just watching you kind of like wait for the song to be over and. You know, the next song is already queued up, so there's not much to do. And, you know, you don't, you're not dancing or whatever. So it is nice to have the camera angle switch and just have people listen, you know, it's more. Yeah. I'm I'm curious about that because the both of you DJ and I do not. And I've always wondered how much of it is about like gauging the crowd response, you know, that determines how long you let a particular song go. Yeah, you want to take that one, Victoria? Or do you have like a set a set layout that's really set, you know, in stone? Or do you kind of like play it by ear? I guess kind of play it by ear. Like out in, out in person, you know, you see how everyone's moving. I guess I would play something long in the beginning. You know, just like set the mood and let everyone know what it's going to kind of be like. And again, just like mm-hmm. really knowing your records and like knowing when is a good time to fade out or not or... Give them the whole experience, you know. But again, on Twitch, it's like, it's a free-for-all. And I think people are really there just to listen. So just give it, give them the full listening experience, you know. Yeah. And I think I agree for the most part as well. Like, because there's some songs that are long that the crowd will love no matter how you play it. If you cut it early or if you keep it going. Like Edge of 17, for example, Stevie Nicks. That's like a seven-minute song, right? It seems really that's long, nothing. I think. No, just kidding. <laughs> I know. That's like, it doesn't feel very yeah. long, though. So, and yeah, most of the time people are singing at the top of their lungs to the bitter end. Totally. So it's really fun to play. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I mean, so sometimes when we have guests here, we play this game called the High Fidelity Game where we list off a top five of a particular topic. Would you be down to play with us today? Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, how about top five songs over 10 minutes? That's kind of also my favorite. So I would love to talk about music and especially really long songs. Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. All right. So this was a really interesting list because 10 minute long songs, I listened to a lot of jazz. It felt too easy to go for like jazz or like ambient songs that are kind of made to be long Sometimes, especially like the spiritual jazz, like Alice Coltrane, Pharaoh Sanders type stuff. And then, of course, like the prog rock stuff felt really like obvious. So I kind of tried to stick with things that I really, really, really would listen to like regularly. So that's how I'm playing this game today. And number five for me is a song called Quay Kerr by the Fiery Furnaces. And then they'll rush you through the anchor chain and out to see what cast. And that's coming in at 10 minutes and 25 seconds long. Are you guys familiar with the fiery furnaces? 
I'm not. No? No. It's a new one. Really? Oh, wow. It's uh, an indie band from New York. Um, It is brother, sister, Eleanor and Matthew Friedberger. Um, It's very indie pop, but there is a prog element kind of to it and a lot of kind of rock opera vibes, especially to this album that this song is on, which is Blueberry Boat from 2004. And so, yeah, this song in particular is very kind of an operatic exploration. It's kind of mad. It's like five or six different sections where the song is totally different. Uh, it starts out with this like electronic pulsing, kind of loud. It, it reminds me of that air song, Electronic Performer. from that 10,000 Hertz Legend album. I love that album. Yeah, it's so good. And I think underappreciated, under underrated. That song is, or album is great. Um, but then after this sort of pulsing electronic thing, Eleanor starts singing this sort of like sing-songy playground rhyme kind of thing about losing her locket and her sweet indie lady voice. And then cut to the next section, we get guitars and uh, Matthew and Eleanor singing in these like alliteration where every word is starting with an L or every word is starting with an S. It kind of feels like a pirate song (laughs) then at that point. Then there's a whole other interlude where it's like piano and synth together. And that's where it sounds really proggy to me, where it then starts to bring back that sort of playground melody from the earlier section. And yeah, it's it's wild. It's just... (laughs) You said there are five different sections. It's a mad song. I can't wait yeah. to listen. That's pretty ambitious for a 10-minute t- song to have like five distinct different things happening. You have to check that out. Yeah, and so when they play it live, sometimes they cut pieces from the live, playing it live, and then if they're recording it, they'll cut sections of that song and put them on a live album as like one song because the songs or the pieces sound so different. But yeah, it kind of feels like an adventure and it's totally random all at the same time. Really fun, fun song. Cool. I like it. Yeah, you have to check it out. Can't wait to hear what you guys think. Okay, number four is Stereo Lab Blue Milk. This one's coming in at 11 minutes and 28 seconds on one version, but then they remastered the album and re released it with an edit that's a 16-minute version. Amazing. (laughs) You can choose your poison. Uh, But this is from the album Cobra and Phase's group play Voltage in the Milky Night from 1999, which is, I think, one of my... I think it is my favorite Stereolab album to date. But Stereolab, if you're not familiar, is an English-French prog jazzy psych pop band. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this song in particular is... Very heavy on the repetition, modular synth, xylophone loops, lots of chiming guitar strums just repeating themselves over and over. And at some point, it's it starts as like a kind of a droney song, but then slowly builds and has these very pop-focused French lyrics, and then it has these like staticky filtering swells and... It builds up, and at some points it sounds like your like, 90s dial-up modem is becoming sentient and plotting its next Brian Eno album. That's how it feels. That sounds like perfection. <laughs> <laughs> so are you all Stereolab fans at all? 
Yeah, I'm into Stereo Lab. Yeah. It's awesome that you brought up um, Air's 1000, what is it, 1000 Hertz or? I think it's 10,000 Hertz. 10,000 Hertz. Um, I, yeah, I love that album. I love Air and Stereo Lab, and I actually got to see them play together at the Hollywood Bowl like forever ago. I mean, it was maybe 15 years ago or something. But, Whoa. Uh, Air and Stereo Lab? With the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, and that might have been one of, one of my favorite concerts. It was really perfect. Whoa. Tara, have you seen them live? I've seen Air and Stereo Lab, but not together. That just seems like the perfect combination, honestly. Two two French yeah. bands. <laughs> I saw Air with Zero Seven though. Ooh. And that was also a very perfect combo. Yeah, that would be great. Very loungy. I feel like they reunited recently, didn't they? I feel like didn't they go on a tour like a few years back, 2019-ish, I want to say? Stereo Lab. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. I, I saw them before the pandemic, and then I have tickets to see them again in September. Oh, wow. So I'm very excited to see them. Yes, I love them so much. <laughs> Apparently, Pitchfork reviewed this album when it came out in 1999 and gave it a 3.4, which is so freaking stupid. <laughs> what does Pitchfork know? I like read the review, and it's the most pretentious BS I've read in a really long What's time. What's their beef with it? What's wrong with it? I don't know. Maybe maybe because it's their follow-up to Dots and Loops, which is also just like probably one of their best albums. And maybe it's a little bit more like repetitive and loopy, but I like it. And also when they are referencing avant-garde filmmakers like Stan Brackage on their records, like they're probably not going to always be sticking to the the pop basics. Right. <laughs> I don't know, that could be really misconstrued as pretentious, my statement just then (laughs) as well, but. (laughs) Oh, well. All right, number three. And this one, Natalie, we've talked about recently. Hmm. Daft Punk, Too Long. long. Can you feel it? Too long. Can you feel it? Too long. Can you feel it? (laughs) Perfect. Ten minutes, and it's exactly ten minutes uh, from the French electronic band Daft Punk from the album Discovery, 1999, and it's the last song of the album. And I feel like the song titles almost must be a joke, right? Like too long for a ten-minute song. Got to be like a joke, right? I can see that. Very cheeky. <laughs> yeah. Let's roll with that theory. Yeah. Uh, features Romanthony on co-production and vocals, actually. And he sadly passed away in 2013 at the young age of 45. He also sang on One More Time, which is one of their biggest tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but this song starts like with a really simple percussion element and these chorus phrases layered. Then Romanthony comes in. It's like nothing else, just his voice and those simple elements. And then it builds to this... Uh, or well, then all of a sudden this sort of four on the floor beat comes in. It samples Rose Royce uh, first come first serve. And there's like parts where it's looped and then low filtered and uh, the chorus is kind of this, uh, you know you need it, I need it too. You know you need it, it's good for you. We're gonna move and it fades out. And it's just like, yeah. A really good French house track. Yeah, it's rocking. I love that. I love that bit that he sings that you just shared the lyrics for. Yeah, it's really great. So good. It gets me hype. Me too. 
Victoria, do you play Daft Punk very often on the stream? Definitely. Yeah. It's a crowd favorite. I love Daft Punk. Yeah. I'm, and I'm sad. I know they did a stream on Twitch of a, of a show from the 90s. And it was like a once, once in a lifetime stream where they, you know, played that concert. And of course I missed it. But um, oh. I hope they do it again. You know? Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, we talked about that in the store recently because we did this um, thing where we're looking into the influences of Daft Punk from the rock side and the funk side and the electronic music side. But yeah, Natalie was talking about how she was cooking in the kitchen, watching that stream, chopping vegetables and like dancing with a knife. Tara's a true friend. Yeah, she texted me. She's like, you have to turn on Uh, Twitch right now. And so I very precariously tried to cook dinner while dancing around listening to that stream. It was awesome. It was crazy. I was like, man, to be there that year, I was not there, but I wish I was. It was so good. All right. Let's see. That was number three. Now we are at number two. This is a rock classic from the band Television. It's Marky Moon coming in at 10 minutes and 38 seconds. This is from their uh, debut album of the same title. Title, gosh, that See the Tennessee just came out. Title, same title <laughs> from 1977. I mean, this song is like legendary, influenced indie rock and influenced so many people. Huge. But yeah, Tom Verlaine and uh, the guitarist, other guitarist Richard Lloyd kind of strayed a bit from punk rock and went into more of this like rock and jazz inspired, um, more like melodic playing of guitar and counter melodies. And it's very largely hook driven on this album, but especially on that track, Marky Moon, lots of instrumental parts. Well, and some really fun, sort of philosophical lyrics. If you listen to them closely, Uh, You know, there's one line about where it's talking about how a Cadillac pulls up to the graveyard, picks him up, then drives into the graveyard and drops him off. It's like, (laughs) what is this a metaphor of? Death, probably. Mm. (laughs) Under the marquee moon. It's also kind of very Halloween-esque goth. But the song starts with this particular guitar type of playing, which is um, like double stop where you're playing like more than one note simultaneously. And then... Each of the three verses in the song start the same way, but then that's the intro before this, these drums come in. And then there's this incredible like jazz-like scale solo after the third verse. And yeah, it's just so epic. The guitar parts interwoven with the drums and the bass make these cool polyrhythms and counter melodies. And uh, yeah, just epic. I love that song. It's so beautiful. It's so good. This is a new one for me. Well, really? So, yeah, I think so. Um, so, like, paint me a picture. Who? What's the sound like? Yeah, 70s, rock, proggy, but, like, not prog either. Think, like, it's not post-punk, but it's almost like art post-punk. Like, who could I compare them to, like, adjacent art post-punk? Um, hmm. Let's see. Who did they, I mean, there's a lot of, I feel like, the Strokes definitely took influence from them if we want to think of more of a modern band that was influenced by them. Okay. Super guitar focused, but then, like I said, the drums and the bass, the percussion elements of the song are also very, like, arty 
and interesting. Yeah, it definitely tells a story too. And I love, there is that like jazzy freak out moment, like a mini freak out moment. And then it all comes together like yeah, really beautiful and like serene again. And it kind of ends like that. There's a big like, aha, like hurrah moment at the end. You know, it's... Yeah. It's awesome. I actually thought of that one for this. I I saw that the, the original pressing was not 10 minutes and that there's like another version of it that, that is. Yeah. It's extended. So I was like, hmm, just being like the vinyl head, like should I go by what it is on the first pressing or, you know, the extended. So, but that that's such a... That's like kind of what you think of for like long epic songs, you know, Marky Moon. Yeah. Yeah. And actually the album was originally recorded, like their demos were recorded by Brian Eno, but they didn't like it, which I think is hilarious. But wait, so I think, because they were even playing this long version on the radio, which I thought was very like not normally what you would hear. Now Mm -hmm. I'm... Now I need to know. Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah. But it was nine minutes and 58 seconds when they first... That's almost 10. That's like two minutes under. <laughs> yeah. I saw them live, too, at the Terragram Ballroom. I think that's Ooh. the spot in downtown LA. And again, they they really did it justice. And it was awesome. I think that yeah. was like the closing song. You'd yeah, have to maybe I close out with maybe your most famous... And longest song, you know, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I saw them also uh, at the Tennessee Theater in Knoxville, and it was it was epic. I mean, I, I think I was just sitting there with my mouth, like, on the floor the whole time. That's so cool. <laughs> so good. All right, here we are. Da, Number da, da, one. Da. Drum roll. Drum roll. This one is so predictable of me. Anyone who knows me is going to be like, duh. Sonic Youth, Diamond <laughs> C. Of course. It's the last song on Washing Machine. It's 19 minutes and 37 seconds long. There is a radio version, which is how I first heard it, which is why it's my favorite Sonic Youth song ever, because it's the first Sonic Youth song that I... I remember hearing at least, but there's also a 25 minute alternate version, uh, which was on uh, the destroyed room. uh, And I think uh, their 12 inch single version of the song, which is fun. I've played, yeah, like I played an ambient jazz uh, stream one time and I closed it out with this 25 minute version and, and people actually stuck around for it. I was very (laughs) surprised, but like you said, you never know. They're there to listen. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this song, I think this song is like the definition of Sonic Youth, in my opinion, too. This is like the epitome of their sound. There's some parts that are really approachable and then some parts that are just complete noise. So it starts with kind of this like vibrating static. You know, when you're a kid and you just you put your hands over your ears and sort of bop your ears back and forth to get that sort of vacuum mm-hmm. sound. <laughs> That's how it starts, in my opinion. That's, it's what it feels like. That's how it starts. And then the guitars follow with that same sort of sound. Like they sound like 
that same, like your ears are being bopped. And then it turns into, you know, this more easily approachable, dreamy song with lyrics sung by Thurston Moore. Listen to these lyrics. Look into his eyes and you will see that men are not alone on the diamond sea. Sail into the heart of the lonely storm and tell her that you love her eternally. I mean, it's so dreamy. And then for it to spiral into this noise drone-like thing, then it dies down to the slow pace and then it goes to this sort of like drone repetitive sequence. And then a whole, which starts another round of just noise and around like 16 minutes, it's it's like the noisiest it could ever be. The guitars are hella screeching. And then at the end, it kind of fades into this reversed something. I think it seems like it's the actual melody that's reversed and sort of layered over the noise and then kind of ends with just that. But yeah, like I said, I think that that's just like the epitome of their sound, this atmospheric jam, innocent romanticism, the the approachable pop part, but also the just like dissonance. And you said this was your first Sonic Youth song you ever heard? Yes, but only the radio edit, which doesn't really include all that noise. Oh, what a cool introduction then. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's it. That's my list. Bravo. That was awesome. Very good. We'll have to talk about our honorable mentions at the end. hmm Because I have a few. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm excited to hear what you have, Victoria. Thank you. Yeah, this was, again, like, thank you for inviting me to, like, hang out with you both. Yeah. And this, it was fun of course. putting the list together. Should we get into it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, First up, I have Art of Noise, Moments in Love. Oh, yes. Yes. One of Natalie's first uh, cassette tape memories. Yes, yes. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that was from 1983, and it's coming in at... 10 minutes and 15 seconds. First appeared on the debut EP Into the Battle with Art of Noise in 1983. Then on the album Who's Afraid of the Art of Noise in 1984. And then released as a single in 85. And of course, like you've heard it sampled so many times. Like, oh yeah. So many hip hop tracks, R&B and dance artists, including LL Cool J, Drake, Charlie XCX, Snoop and Lil Wayne. And it's just, yeah. I just love it so much. The second it comes on and it's the snap and I just love it. <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. good. And don't you love that, that piano outro? I used yes. to love, that was my favorite part of that song. So beautiful. I'm really glad you mentioned this song. This was definitely totally. on my short list. Me too. And I love the video too. I feel like that sort of powdered wig moment is really fits the song where they're dancing. <laughs> Right? Isn't that the video? Or am I thinking of something totally different? I love that you're bringing up music videos because I definitely, I love music yeah. videos with, I mean, it just makes it more memorable. and Yeah. Or if you see it in a movie, you know, I really, I love that. Definitely. It makes it very cinematic. Mm-hmm. It's a visual with the song. Man, R.I.P. MTV. I feel like Twitch has kind of taken over that element a little bit. There's a lot of people streaming music videos on Twitch now. Totally. I, I sometimes feel like I have my own little cable access yeah. show. It's, it's, it's silly. <laughs> I don't know. Especially on this one, my Sunday shows that I do, Psychic Baseline. We yes. play people's voicemails throughout the show. They call in the hotline. And um, at the end, I have a word from our sponsors. And I, 
you know, I go through all these old hotline commercials and I have about four minutes at the end where we just kind of hang out and watch old hotline commercials and I don't know. Oh, that's cool. That's when it really feels like cable access. It's like, what is this? Is I guess this is my channel. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't think I've stayed up late enough to catch the end of your show, but I have been there for that and just calling in and leaving a voicemail on your line and then hearing it over Twitch is really special. I I feel so special when I do that. Aw, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) it's a nice way to, you know, have the listeners be a part of it. Feel free to call (laughs) 323-484-4341. I'm like, what is the warning? Like, your toll rates may apply or something? (laughs) No, there's nothing. And I promise I won't spam your phone, you know, even though I have everyone's phone numbers. (laughs) You do? That's cool. (laughs) I have a a radio-related sentimental attachment to this song, too, because it was the theme song to, like, the Slow Jams radio uh, show that came on in the evenings when I was growing up in central Indiana. Ah. So I would hear moments, moments in love, like, multiple times through the week. And what a perfect song to, like, set off an hour of you know, romantic tunes and everything. Yeah, that was a song I would start off a lot of sets Mm -hmm. with, you know. It's perfect. Cool. All right, that's a strong number five. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so next up I have Tantra with Hills of Kathmandu. Coming in at 16 minutes, 21 seconds. Came out in 1979. It's like a one of my favorite like disco anthems. Oh, it's like oh, you know, the drums and really cool like distant vocals, and it just kind of it's very enchanting and it takes you away and kind of light on the lyrics, mainly hills of Kathmandu. You know, it's just. It's just a disco classic. I love it. You know, amazing disco record from Italy. Oh, there's also a great remix from Patrick Kelly. I love him, you know, which is also more than 10 minutes long. So it's like the light lyrics, the little bit of lyrics there is, and then Kills of Kathmandu. <laughs> Do you have this record? Like the actual vinyl record? Yeah, I have, I have the original and I have an edit and then I have the Spanish version. The cover is kind of awesome with the like, dragon things in the building <laughs> what it's yeah very if, random. You ever, if you ever see any record covers like that when you're picking get get those they look <laughs> they look weird they could look a little cheesy but those they're pretty good you should definitely yeah pick up that stuff cool and i play that song like full on like almost in almost entire entirety like the entirety of the song at least 10 minutes yeah. <laughs> Is that crazy? <laughs> no. I love that's it. That's not crazy. Wait, so so that one's a disco one, but would that one fit your... Do you still do your anti-Saturdays also streams? Yeah, I have this other um, stream that I do on Saturday called Anti-Saturday. And I just figured, you know, especially during the pandemic, Saturday nights was like a party night and all the DJs were like taking shots on Twitch and it was very like, woo. So I felt like... Let's do something different on this channel. So let's just do, you know, ambient and droney and just the opposite. I love that. 
Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, and super uh, cool. No, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't play that. Okay, too disco-y. Too fast, too disco-y. Yeah, cool. But it's really cool. Cool. What's next? Okay, next up is a little bit of a swerve, but that's kind of like how I, I like to play. Um, coming in at 18 minutes and 36 seconds, uh, we have Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant. This song is called Alice's Restaurant. It's about Alice and the restaurant. But Alice's Restaurant is not the name of the restaurant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a wild one. I love this record, just this self, self-titled record. It came out in 1967. Um, I really adore this whole record. Every single song is like one of my favorites. And they made it into a movie, 1969, Alice's Restaurant. Ooh. And the song is partially based on a true story from Guthrie's own life. And the restaurant is based on a restaurant owned by one of his friends. And you see that in the movie. It's kind of based on Thanksgiving Day. And there is an Alice's restaurant in California that's been open since the 60s, but has no actual connection to Arlo Guthrie or the song. But they do continue to operate as homage to the song and a tourist attraction. And I would totally go. Yeah. You know, I would totally go. I want to do like a, a tour of America with like music related mm. landmarks. There's a book, it's called Rock and Roll Guide to New York or something like that. And it, it talks about all these different landmarks, uh, like rock and roll landmarks in New York. But I, want, I would like to do that across America, you know? That'd be so awesome. Yeah. Go visit places like that. Tom's Diner. Totally. Uh, just to name another food place. Um, the Big Pink House, you know, Woodstock, all those places. That'd be a fun time. Arlo Guthrie's in that Woodstock movie. I think he... His song coming into Los Angeles is on it, right? I haven't seen that one. And uh, I love that movie. But yeah, I guess I do. It's like one of my Thanksgiving traditions that I do as well. Not that it's like a super beautiful song because it's not, but I do play Alice's Restaurant every Thanksgiving, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's a good one. Good classic pick. Yeah. So next up is Kraftwerk's Autobahn. Oh, I love Kraftwerk. This came out in 1974 and it's 22 minutes long and 47 seconds. I mean, the song just has so much motion to it already. You really do feel like you're traveling and moving. I love that about them. And it's yeah. inspired by their joy of driving on German highways. And <laughs> they have kind of a lot of songs about moving and traveling, don't they? Mm-hmm. I never really put that together until just now as we're talking about Autobahn. But uh, there's the, what's the? Um, Tour de France. Oh. That's Tour, very, Yes, Tour de France. That's fast, you know, moving. Yeah. Racing. Yes. So many movement songs. They're very thematic too. Just, you know, radioactivity. It's like that whole album is, you know, a theme. And I don't know, just they're one of my favorites. So I had to include them, of course. And again, it's 22 minutes long. And I 
also play this in full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is another one of Daft Punk influences, and you couldn't hear it. And it's it's really obvious too after, especially talking with Natalie extensively about Daft Punk. Um, and you're like, yes, this like everything they do has been highly influenced by Kraftwerk, the robots, mm-hmm. the synths. Well, it's funny because Kraftwerk actually referenced the Beach Boys in this song. You know, the fun, fun, oh. fun. They do the Beach Boys, fun, fun, fun. You know, in the lyrics of this song. I mean, it sounds kind of cooler with them saying it, but still, there is that Beach Boys <laughs> reference. And last, last stop. You guys ready? We're ready. Hit okay. us. Okay. Oh, I don't Come, know. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> Coming in at 26 minutes, we have Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. Okay, you and I are definitely in sync. I'm obsessed with Mike Oldfield. I, oh my God, I'm obsessed with him too. <laughs> it <Yes>. just happened. <laughs> um, I, I got one of his albums, Crises. I fell in love with that song, Foreign Affair. And then I just had, I just did like a lifelong subscription to him and collected all of his records. And then, oh. and then after Crises, I found out he did Tubular Bells. It's like, that's kind of silly, right? But... You guys will know it. It's from the Exorcist theme. Yeah, the theme, the theme song from the Indeed. Exorcist. That definitely wasn't his plan when he wrote it. You know, that just kind of happened. I think it even bummed him out, you know, because... Oh, really? I, well, he associated with a creepy movie? <laughs> a little bit. And, you yeah. know, he got so popular and, you know, it launched Virgin Records. And I don't know if he was ready for it, but I'm so happy it happened. He's a very private guy. Very introverted and private. He he was not digging the fame and the spotlight at all. No. And then of course they were like, more, more, do, right, right. do another record, you know. But um that that self-titled record, I love it front to back. And I again play this whole song. Cause you have to, because there are different parts of the song and each one is like, I just love it so much. It wouldn't be complete without every part and I love the sound off at the end where they introduce each instrument that is mm-hmm. in the song. It's just, it's my favorite. I love, I love Michael Field. <laughs> I also love I Michael Field. Nerd, but I really like him. <laughs> yeah. So 1973. We should start a modern day fan club. Sorry. I literally was looking at like tour dates. Like, is he coming to Wait, town? Wait, does he still tour? Oh my God. I don't think so. I mean, I think I saw a couple in, in Europe, but nothing here in the States. And, you know, but he that did. That just do, might lure me out of my house. Right. With yeah. Field I would go to that. Somewhere. I would I go would. to that. <laughs> I'd risk it. Yeah. I know he did play at the Olympics um, 2012. You know, they did like a whole thing and he got to play, which is, you know, good for him because I don't know. He's just. Amazing. I love you. <laughs> I was just looking up this song on my smart device in the store, and I see that he also released an interactive version of the album in 1996 for your Commodore 64. That is what? crazy. Down. <laughs> I use the computer's SID chip sound chip. Sorry. Use the computer's sound chip to play a simplified rearrangement of the album and some simple 2D visual effects. 
So cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking that up immediately after we leave the store. Yeah. I was so hungry for like Mike Oldfield stuff that I actually looked on YouTube. Like I need an interview, like I need a show or something. And I found a pretty decent one that was an hour long. I think BBC did it, of course. And it was amazing. I definitely recommend it. Was oh, it wow. the special they did for Tubular Bells, the live performance? Um, no, it that? was like his own kind of like life story. Another, okay. Yeah, they definitely and, focused on Tubular Bells, but. And apparently Tori Amos uses this as her like opening song in her live shows. Wow. And even That's plays it on her harpsichord, which blends into Love Song by The Cure sometimes. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's very Tori Amos. Yeah, I could see that. I heard a Kanye West song that sampled another song off Crises. It's like, can can we get much higher or something? Oh. Anyway. Hmm. I was like, hey, Kanye knows Mike Oldfield, but I'm sure someone else, who knows, (laughs) found it. And then he was like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know. Right. Throw it in. (laughs) Yeah. Which album is that on? Mike Oldfield Records. It was like, this is great. I mean, yeah, like which album was that on? Because Daft Punk produced one of his records. It was probably them. Oh, crazy. Um, which, the Mike Oldfield one or the Kanye? The Kanye one. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it was like two albums ago. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, so that's, that's, those are all my little picks. Nice work. That's a great list. It's a solid list. And no overlap yet. That's shocking because you have three tracks on your list that were on my list at some point in time. Wait, me? No, Victoria. Yeah, I was oh, worried okay, about Okay, gotcha, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Three of your songs that. that you just named were also in my list at some point. Wow. Well, now I'm excited to hear what you have, Natalie. Okay. I tried to kind of be like you, Tara, and not do what would be expected of me. So I tried to stay away from like super long techno house kind of dance tracks that I'm into and ambient things as well, or like jazz tunes for that matter, even though one made its way onto the list. But um, let's dive in. Here are my top five. And this time I actually tried to kind of loosely order them. Okay. Ooh. I stretched myself this week, Tara. I love it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so coming in at number five, I have Sigaros, untitled number eight. Um, from their second album from 2002, which I don't know what you call it because it's just empty parentheses. And this one is uh, 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Now, there, there are definitely a couple of tunes from their first uh, 1999 debut album that are over 10 minutes long that might be superior, probably are superior. Um, for example, the mm-hmm. one that's called like Sleepwalking Angels. But I chose this one because this is the album that introduced me to Sigaros. So there's just like some more sentimental value there for me. Um, and this is the song that has that like devastatingly depressing music video with like the school children going out oh. for recess in nuclear fallout and they're wearing the gas masks. Do you remember that? It's like the only Cigaros music video that I remember. <laughs> it was just so unnecessarily sad and I would <laughs> cry my eyes out every time I saw it. But um, see, it's like, see, I never really got into Cigaros, but the video stayed in my brain. So that just goes to show you how much an impact the visual can have on a song. Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. But this this song has like kind of a goofy memory for me because it reminds me of like a very silly, overly dramatic moment in my life at Coachella one year um, where, where they performed. And you know how it is at these big music festivals. You've got like multiple stages. The logistics are horrible because you're always going to like have to miss something you really want to see. Mm-hmm. And so I got outvoted um, by my friend group, my friend's group, and they wanted to see something else. So <laughs> I know, right? Um but it was a it was a democracy, so I had to accept it. Anyway, so when the band finished playing, I noticed that Sigaros was still playing. So I just like bolted <laughs> top speed across the field, and it was their last yeah. song, and they were playing this song as their closer. And I just ran and ran and just plopped face first in the grass and immediately started crying my eyes out. I was like Aww. determined to have this like really cathartic emotional experience <laughs> against the climax of the song. And so when it was over, I like peel my face off the dirt and look up and like the guy I was dating at the time, he's just looking at me like, are you satisfied? Like, are we done here with this display? What are you doing? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but it was very dramatic how I like ran and just, you know, ate shit in the middle of the field so I could cry to the song. And then you said to him, do you even have a soul? Oh, no. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, he also wasn't dancing during Daft Punk, so we dismissed him to the back. Oh. I'm like, are you kidding? Wait, is this also the Cranky Pants from the Bjork show that you... <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. It's so you. funny that you remember that. Yeah. Anyway, forget that. <laughs> forget that part. It was a great memory. <laughs> I got to see my favorite Seagro song at the end of their set, and that's, that's amazing. It. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Wait, which festival is this again? Uh, Coachella. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, man, Cigarros and Daft Punk all in the same year? It might not have been the same year. Um, no, this was, oh. we've gone a few times in a row. I'm just yeah. like, that was a good year. Coachella. <laughs> yeah. Coachella had a, some, had a golden period there for a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my number five. Number four, I have Snarky Puppy Lingus, which comes in at 10 minutes, 45 seconds. Uh, Snarky Puppy, they are a jazz fusion powerhouse. Every participating musician is just a force into themselves. This particular song I've seen, I've seen them perform this live a couple of times and it's just insane how much power and energy they infuse into this this song. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. There are multiple recordings of this and they have this breakdown in the middle of the tune and they let like a different musician take the big solo. But I'm focusing on the recording on their 2014 album, We Like It Here. I think that's probably the most famous recording because it features Corey Henry on the keys. And if you don't know who Corey Henry is, oof, this, this guy is just like so incredibly gifted. Um, he just never fails to blow me away with his improv skills. Very highly respected in the music industry. He just has like this effortless and expansive access to like a whole range of styles and ideas. And like, even in the solo, you can hear it. Like he starts off with this set of chords that feel very gospel. Then he kind of moves into jazz and like even some classical things sneak in there. Um, He just like travels the musical universe in this solo. And then it all kind of whips up and um, the brass (laughs) section comes in nice and crisply. And the ending is just thumping and energetic. It's just, it's a joy to witness in person. It's a really great recording. 
That's cool. Do you know I get yeah. to see Snarky Puppy with Steely Dan this summer? What? That's going to be fun. Wow, Tara, you're, you're out here living the dream with these live shows, man. <laughs> well, well, it's going to be awesome. Is this pre- going to be your first time seeing Snarky Puppy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Steely Dan, actually. It's going to be a, Honey, a night of get first. baptized. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> baptized. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. All right. So number three, speaking of Tori Amos, I picked The Waitress. The live version of The Waitress. It's 10 minutes and 24 seconds long. And the song originally appears on her second album, Under the Pink, from 1994. But there is a live version from her 1999 double album, To Venus and Back. And this, this version is just really incredible to me. So Tori talks about this song kind of being like a companion to Cornflake Girl. And Tara, I know we've talked about Cornflake Girl on the show before. Just kind of continuing this theme of women betraying women, you know? Yeah. Wait, so what's the story? Are you familiar with the song? I, I am not. Yeah, so it's it's on Under the Pink. So basically, she's singing about how she wants to kill oh this waitress. <laughs> um, so here's, here's a good quote that kind of sums up what the song is about. <clears throat> the waitress is about the agony of admitting that you really have no remorse about ripping this girl's head off. It's a very scary thing to not have any remorse about wanting to kill someone, especially when you think you're a peacemaker. So the song is not just about wanting to kill her. It's about the feelings of wanting to kill her and what that brings up. I should feel terrible, but I don't. So like in the refrain of the song, she's singing, I believe in peace. I believe in peace, bitch. I believe in peace, <laughs> you know, trying to convince herself. But um, it's just a really dope song. And in the live version, she does like an amazing solo as she's well known for. And uh, it rocks. It rocks pretty hard. That's intense. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. I used to not be too keen on like live pressings, but lately I've definitely appreciated them more. Like there's just things mm-hmm. you miss or just things that are new. And I give it up for like live performances, recordings, you know, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's some artists out there who are such proficient and a visionary artist that they actually come, they, they make better music live. Like they make their songs better on stage somehow. Mm-hmm. Like Tori's definitely one of those artists. Cause this song is like, it feels like a different beast than the studio version. Even I could see that. I think, um, Erica Badu is the same way. Like once I listened to her live album, I, I like barely even bothered with the studio album anymore. Mm-hmm. Cause it was just so much, you know, so superior. Um, but yeah, I think Tori's live stuff is just next level. Cool. Yeah. I also get to see her live this year, finally, my first oh time. Oh, my. <laughs> Look, it is, we're making up for lost time, okay? In 2022, we're making up for lost time. Totally. I got to see all these people for the first time. Uh, I'm looking at this lyrics website about this song, and someone says, I believe in peace, bitch. Does it get any better than that? Yes, it gets better when it's live. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then someone said, the line, too many stars and not enough sky, I always thought meant there were too many girls competing for the spotlight and not enough room for them all to shine. I was like, oh, mm. that's kind of Yeah, nice. I read that too. Yeah, she kind of leaves her songs open for interpretation, you know? Mm. She has a really cryptic and 
It's like simultaneously cryptic and also really beautifully um, poetic, and you can kind of see the Im- the imagery so clearly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love Tori. She's a badass. But it just, it like whips up at the end and the band just rocks out. It's, it's fantastic. Very like emotional and over the top. I love it. So tell me, when to- uh, Tori coming this summer, is she coming with a full band or is she doing the me and my Ooh. piano kind of thing? That's a good you know? question. I have no idea. I was just like, Tori Amos, buy the tickets now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw her at Symphony Hall a few years back and it was just like Ooh. her and the piano. And it was really, it was really nice Ooh. and intimate. I'm not sure. And she sang... Um, Somewhere over the rainbow, and once again, I was bawling my eyes out shamelessly oh, in public. Yes, that's on the Hey Jupiter single, right? I had the CD maxi single of that when I was a teenager. Mm. And yeah. yeah, or maybe I wasn't, I don't know if I was a teenager, I might have been in college actually, but yeah, that song is, it's like, please play this at my funeral so that everyone oh, will cry for sure, for sure. It's so beautiful. As soon as she hit that first note, I was just, <laughs> oh. I like apologize to my girlfriend. I'm like, just, just tuck her in. It's going to be a rough four minutes over here. <laughs> that should be added <clears throat> to your list of themes, like songs maybe you would be okay with having played at your funeral. Yes. Because that's right. important. That's a great idea. You know, like your that's family. That's a good hi-fi game. Do yeah. Do the work now so your family doesn't, you know, feel mess guilty. it up. Yeah, just mess gonna, it up. <laughs> yeah. Just gonna go ahead and add that now. Yeah, just top five songs cry. to play at my funeral. <laughs> All um, right. So now we're at number two. Okay, Victoria, this one's for you. I picked Mike Oldfield. Yes. Omadon, part one. Dang. So Omadon is 19 minutes and five seconds. And it's on his third studio album on Virgin Records. Uh, came out in 1975. This was two years after his, you know, huge breakthrough Tubular Bells mm-hmm. shindig. What did the critics say about it? Like About Omadon? Yeah. I, well, they were really, they thought he was like back in action with Omadon because oh. he had an album right after uh, Tubular Bells that following year that did not get, you know, very good response from the critics. So I think that bummed him out even harder. So for this album, he's like, okay, um, he had Virgin, like, build a studio for him in his little country cottage, and he just he just holed up. He played, like, a bunch of the instruments on the album from harp to banjo to glockenspiel. I mean, nice. the guy's just a total beast. Um, and he was just kind of feeling that pressure, I think. I mean, the second album still did really well, but it wasn't like up to the level of Tubular Bells. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like he just he just wanted to like be alone, get back in the zone and like do his thing. And he I think he nailed it on Omadon. And just fun note, the album that came after this one is my personal favorite Mike Oldfield album of all time, Incantations. Yes. Which I'm just obsessed <laughs> with Incantations. Um, and Hiawatha in particular is like my ultimate jam. Oh my God, <laughs> so I love every time that. I talk about Mike Oldfield, I have to bring up Hiawatha because it is my jam. Um, yes, but what I think is cool about Omadon, I think that a lot of the musical themes and stylings that I've come to associate with him, like really, really solidify here, um, take shape on this album. So like the opening is this dreamy, ethereal melody. And then you get this more like upbeat section led by uh, Les Pen- Penning on the recorder. 
And it's kind of like, I don't know, I think about some of the fantastical knights and wizards and, <laughs> you know, kind of books I used to read when I was a kid, the Dragonlance and D&D books and stuff like that. And then you get these like deep, meaty rhythms happening. He, he worked frequently with a South African group called, I think, Jabula. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And then, of course, his signature guitar sound that he like really heavily processed to give it a really specific kind of twang. I don't know. But it just all kind of came together, I think, in that in that Omadon record. That is so yeah. cool. He rules. I know. I could go on forever about him. <laughs> I'm going to have my uh, ambient card revoked because uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever listened to any Mike Oldfield. It's never too late to start, man. Get into it. I just recently discovered incantations. So, no, you're, it's never too late, oh. like okay, Natalie good. says. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. I will dive into that this week for sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lastly, my number one pick is Stevie Wonder, Do I Do. Comes in at 10 minutes and 28 seconds. That's Classic. one of those songs that doesn't <laughs> feel like 10 minutes. It doesn't, man, but it is. Like all the way to the, to the very last second, they're rocking it out. It is legit 10 and a half minutes long. It's a good one. It's on his, uh, yeah, his double album from 1982, Original Musicarium. And it's one of the few, like, there's like a handful of new songs on that album. It's mostly a compilation of like kind of his classic period from the 70s forward. And this is just the jam. It's like the ultimate dance party song. It's just, it's got a lot of awesome stuff happening. Stevie Wonder does a rap and he's like scatting at the end. Got that like thumping, intricate bass line by the legendary Nathan Watts, who was with Stevie Wonder for like nearly four decades, which mm. I thought was really incredible. Um, and then of course, Dizzy Gillespie. He plays Dizzy a trumpet Gillespie. solo in the middle. Cool. Which wild. is wild. Yeah, that's wild. Stevie Wonder was actually my first concert. What? Ooh. Yeah. Like, um, my, That's s- good. my sister used to be like in a jazz on- ensemble and he came to their high school and he like sang with he them. He came to a high school. Yeah. What? And, uh, where was this? She went to a school called Loxa. It was like high school of, of performing arts on the campus of Cal State LA. And oh. I really wanted to, I thought I would maybe go there. It's just. It was hard to pick what you wanted to audition for. You know, you audition for dance or singing or visual arts or band. You know, it was hard to choose. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they he was really sweet and he's so cool. I mean, protect Stevie Wonder at all costs, really. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's incredible. Invisible cloak. Yeah. Stevie Wonder. He probably has one of those already. <laughs> yeah, he probably does. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Man. But yeah, I mean, Stevie's just amazing. I just, I'm lucky that this one was over 10 minutes <laughs> so I could put it on my list. That's a good pick. But like, yeah, and the lyrics are so perfect. He's just so clever and catchy. Like, do I do what you do when I do my love to you? I love that. And like, the yes, I got some candy kisses for your lips. It's just so like <laughs> perfect. Lyrically and rhythmically, it's perfect. It's so hip. That's awesome. Cool. I love it. Great list. As per usual. Well, actually, if we wanted to hear some more choices, Victoria, that you have, 
maybe not 10 minutes long, but any selection, where would our record store society shoppers hear you? Hear me. What time? Hear me? (laughs) Yeah. Play? Where can can they find you on Twitch or uh, um, you still do uh, the Sirius XM radio show for Dirty Bird? Yeah, I've been hosting the Dirty Bird radio show on Sirius XM's Diplo's Revolution on Fridays at 8 p.m. PDT. I think it's Channel 52. And if you miss the live broadcast, you know, we, we post them on Dirty Bird SoundCloud. And we just recently started doing, um, we started streaming it on Dirty Bird Live on Mondays. Because I think people still like listening to music together and, you know, just talking and sharing IDs and all that stuff and dropping little emotes and stuff. So we're doing yeah. that. And I got my own channel, um, Victoria Rollins dot TV slash Twitch or something. <laughs> you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do that. Victoria Rollins dot slash Twitch. What is it? <laughs> Twitch, Twitch dot, Twitch TV slash Victoria Rollins. This is embarrassing. But yeah, I live there. I live online. You could just like find me trapped in your screen. And, you know, I play out in LA a little bit. I've kind of taken a step back, just um, focusing on making music, my own music and um, stuff like that. You know, That's cool. Actually, cool. I wanted, I've been wanting to tell you this. Uh, when I first saw you on Twitch, I can't remember. It was, it was definitely from you know, a raid, someone I know raided you or something. But I was like, oh my gosh, look at all of those records because I'm a collector. But I was like, how did she get so many records? And one, and this is the crazy part that I, I have to like fess up to is like my first thought, and this is so sad, was like, oh, I wonder if it's combined with her partner or something. But then I was like, why would I ever think that? Like, I don't, like, I don't, do that. That's some just like built-in misogyny or something into my brain. I was just gonna make a joke like, "Oh, they're my boyfriends, don't you know?" You know, but right? Like, yeah. it's just crazy that that is almost like my first thought. And I'm definitely like like you, where I collect records. So why would I ever think that even about myself or anyone? So I had to like re. I had to like reconfigure my brain in that moment. Like, whoa, why would I even think that? You just have this incredible record collection. It's so impressive. Thank you. Yeah, and they're not so cool. they're not fillers e- either. It's not like just the first ones you see are good and then everything in the back is all dollar store like trash. Like they're all very hand-picked and you know, I've been I've been DJing for 13 plus years now and you know, inherited my sister's records and you know, she was into every like subcult- subculture and just kind of kept inheriting records from people and collecting myself and the more yeah. jobs I did, the more records I got and the different, scene, the different scenes, the different scenes I was a part of, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's just, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You do sound curation for lots of brands. You DJ producer, so many things. Yeah, I mean, I'm also, many talents. I'm also a mom, so I really am hoping that, like, my children like music because, you know, I want it to go to somebody afterwards. Like, it would, I think it would break my heart if, you know. 
Yeah. If like nobody wanted you've them. Cl- you've clearly got great taste. So they're <laughs> <Yes>. being <laughs> fed the right things. They're bound to like something, you know, hopefully. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. If not, you know, call me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. I need to start my own Discog store really badly. I got to get rid of some stuff. Sell some stuff. Yeah. Make room for a new. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, so it's about time for us to close this store, but we have to restock our recommendation shelf, our employee recommendation mm. shelf. Cute. Do you want to do honorable mentions? Uh, oh, yeah. I completely forgot about honorable mentions. Let's do honorable mentions. Yeah. Um, shall I list mine? Mine. I only had three listed on here. Um, Burials, Kindred, which there are actually many burial tracks that I would have loved to include. Art of Noise, Moments in Love, obviously. <laughs> and Craftwork Autobahn. Mm. So Nice. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Natalie? Well, I had also Art of Noise. Um, Herbie Hancock's Butterfly, uh, Focus, Eruption. I had some, a few Tangerine Dream songs on there. Mm. Uh, Todd Rundgren's Utopia. Todd. And <laughs> Nina Simone's Cinnamon. Nice. What totally. about you, Victoria? Um, yeah, I also had Marky Moon, but then had to choose something else. It was really hard to choose. Um, mm-hmm. I also had Blue Room by The Orb and um, classic disco anthem, Love is the Message, you know, yes. to Tom Moulton and all that good stuff. Nice. Yeah. yeah nice that, work, ladies. Yeah, that was a good topic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to see this playlist of all these songs, see how long it turns out to be. Well, I guess it would, well, not, I guess they were all longer than just 10 minutes, so it would be pretty long. But yeah, so if we restock the recommendation shelf now, I think I would put on there uh, Jenny Haval. But in the Her new album, Classic Objects just came out this year. It's like super soft and provocative and it's really melodic and peaceful even when she's talking about bleeding into the toilet. Hmm. <laughs> Very honest. <laughs> what about you, Natalie? Oh man, you caught me unprepared this week. Um, <laughs> I'm going to recommend something that's not even out yet and you told you put me onto this, Tara, but I'm just going to go ahead and recommend James Blake's upcoming oh, covers album. Man. First Because I'm pretty positive that's going to be a must listen. We already talked about this. He's covering First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, which is like my favorite love song of all time. I'm already welling up inside thinking about it. So super pumped about that. Cool. That's a record store day release. I will be there in line just to snag that one at least. Cool. Victoria, what would you like to put on the recommendation list? I know you don't work here, but you should put something on here. Yeah, I mean, well, anytime I enter in a record store, my first go-to bin is usually the soundtracks. I always go to soundtracks because, you know, either I can't find the original, but it was on a movie. So, you know, I I look for stuff like that. But um, I recently saw the Sparks Brothers movie, and I absolutely loved every single second of it. But also the original 
score was amazing, and I'm pretty sure it came out on pink vinyl just very recently. Oh. So, yeah, the Sparks Brothers movie score LP. What is this dumb not the things you will do? Um, maybe a Dirty Bird white label pressing. Nicky Nair, he's got this Nicky song. Nair. I love him. Oh, yeah, you're, you're homies with him. Yeah. Yeah, more is different. I mean, he's so cool. I oh. I love him. And, yeah, Dirty Bird white label is pretty cool. It's, like, more underground. Um, and not every record store is blessed with Disco Smos, but, you know, if they are... They're so lucky. That's one of my absolute favorite <laughs> record labels, Dis- Discos Mas. Um, uh-huh. And I got a ton of their 45s, but um, so it's hard to choose. But maybe Los Disco Duro with their Sol Macosa 7-inch. It's pretty cool. fun. I mean, it's, it's super fun. It's yeah. awesome. Nice. Well, it was so, such a pleasure to have you in the store today. Thank you so yeah. much for chatting with us and hanging out with us. And hopefully we can do some more Twitch parties in the future. Thank we had a really you. fun uh, David Bowie, Elvis Presley birthday party. That was a very fun time. But yeah, thanks so much. And I guess we shall close this door now. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say we should do a Twitch raid. I'm sure all your picks would add up to an hour and mine would add up to an hour. And I mean, well, yeah, people like you is why I like hanging out at record stores or why I used to really love hanging out at record stores for hours, you know, just like talking to the people that work there. So this is a really nice place. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank no, you. Thanks for joining us. All right. Let's close her up. Happy trails. See you later. Bye. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.